Thanks, man. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. Thanks for being here at Better Together Sunday. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you check out the groups. As Tina said, we got 26 groups. That's awesome. So lots of thank you for the golf clap over here. Just <laughs> uh, but yeah, but uh, so many great people leading groups. So uh, we man, we believe at, at the core we are better together. God wants us to do this life with other people. Um, so today we're reminding ourselves of that. We're uh, reconnecting that and providing opportunity for that. And today we're going to wrap up this sermon series too. And I don't know about you, but I've always admired people with great courage. Anybody else? I've always, and, and there's a lot of different forms of courage in the world, you know. Um, when, when I was little, my, my dad would tell me stories about this guy named Evil Knievel. You ever hear of him? Yeah. And he said when, when he, uh, Evil Knievel, I guess, came to Cleveland at one time and did, and if you don't know who Evil Knievel is, he, uh, he would jump cars, I mean lines of cars and all kinds of other things on an old Harley. I mean, this dude, this dude was wild. And my dad said he went and saw him, he was in Cleveland, and he uh, was jumping, I don't know, 30 or 40 or whatever cars and trucks, and, and he jumped it, but he didn't fully make it. Like, you know, the, he kind of hit the last car, whatever, and then this dude went back up on the mic, and he's like, hey, you guys came to see me jump 30 cars. I only got 29 or whatever. I'm going to do it again. And the dude did it again. Now, I don't know if that's courageous. Or if there's other words we would use. But as a kid, I was like, this guy is cool. Now, if you know, like, he's also alleged to have broken every bone in his body from, from different. But, man, that, hey, that guy, there, there's a certain level of, of courage, if, if you will, in that. But, but there's a lot of other courage that, that I admire, too, you know. I, I admire people who, man, they're, they're in a tough spot in life, and, and they take a hard step, you know, and they're like, I, I'm going back to school. I want to do a different career, or I'm in a bad place, and, and I need help, and I'm going to do it, and all of that requires courage, and, and it's always inspiring to me. It's always um, motivating to me. It's always something I, I look at, and I'm like, man, that, that's awesome, and it's also something that I look at my own life, and I'm like, you know what? I want more courage in my life. Because I see how valuable it can be in this world. And today as we wrap up this series, we are going to talk about this idea of courage because I believe that in your life and in my life, we need God's courage. That there, there's a courage that comes from God and we need it in our lives if we are going to do God's work. We need God's courage to do God's work. Now, today, you might not think of yourself as evil Knievel, and that's probably just okay. Uh, that's actually probably a good thing. You, you might not think of yourself as a courageous person, but I want to tell you today, I think that there is more courage in you than, you than you think, than you know. 
I think that, that you, you may not see yourself as a courageous person, but to live the life God has for you, I believe today you have everything you need in you through God, and you just might not realize it. And I'm going to try and make you realize it today. That's what my goal is, all right? I think God's courage is in you. You just might not know it. You, you might have kind of be sort of uh, not quite recognizing and realizing it. And so we're going to see this, this whole thing about courage. So let me read to you Acts 18. Uh, and I'm going to read quite a few verses to you. So I need you to be just extra aware and paying attention. Uh, this is the highest speed service of Christ Church right here, 930 right now. This is the most spiritually filled people. Amen. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> so I know you can do this. That's what I'm saying. All right, here we go. Acts 18. Now, we've been looking through the book of Acts, and, and we've been skipping just around because there's so much content. There's a lot of stories and people, but we've been seeing <clears throat> these themes of the apostles and the early leaders going into new communities and bringing the message of Christ. And many times they would have some success, but then they would also have a lot of opposition and a lot of challenge. And we're going to see the same kind of thing play out here in Acts 18. So here's how it goes. After this, Paul, he left Athens, this is Greece, and he went to Corinth. This is kind of the other side of Greece. It's about a, a three or a four day walk. So he kind of went from one side of Greece to the other. And in Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Said, hey, Apollo, you want some? <laughs> and that's, that's how I knew he was from <laughs> That's how I knew he was from Italy. I'm Italian. I can, I can do that kind of thing. Let's get some of a, a mamma mia. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Once I start, it's really hard to stop. Um, so he met this Italian couple, um, and they were kicked out because Claudius, he's a Roman emperor, he commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And I'll talk about why he did that in a second. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul was bivocational. He would preach, he would do ministry, but then he would you know, do work on the side to pay the bills and to eat food and things like that. So he was a tent maker or wove fabric. It's hard to know exactly what is meant by those words, but, but he did something with, with fabric. Um, and this couple did the same thing, so they got together on this. And while he was doing that, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, in the ancient world, all the big cities had synagogues. Because the big cities had enough Jewish population where they could sustain a synagogue where, where it would make sense. So Corinth is a bigger city. It's a happening city, and they have a synagogue. And, and Paul would always start there because Paul himself was Jewish. He understood the way of thinking, the culture, and he would go in, and he would disrupt the place. And he would start saying, hey, what you're really looking for has been found and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And he would try to persuade them and get a hearing. And verse 5, And then when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to him, 
your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this is just kind of Luke giving us the summary version. But basically, Paul went in there, tried to do it, and they didn't like it. They weren't real open to it. And so they, you know, were against him. And so Paul said, all right, well, I'm done doing it this way. I'm going to go to the non-Jewish people, Gentiles, in this area. And I'm going to share Christ with them. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Fine, you guys kick me out of here. I'll go next door. That would have been a little awkward, huh? Paul apparently wasn't too conflict-averse right there. You kick me out, I'll find a way. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. But in the midst of this, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. He drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to this. So a lot in these verses. And I believe that there's a lot of great ideas and pictures of courage. And what it means and what it looks like in our life. And I want to share some of those with you today. And here's the first thing that I see is that that courage, it demands movement. Now, when you look at the book of Acts, it's constantly moving. Paul gets kicked out of this place. He goes to the next. They don't like him in the synagogue. He goes to the neighbor's house of the synagogue. There's just always this movement. And through this movement, Paul is discerning and fulfilling God's purpose for his life. One of the the ways that we explain this concept around the church is that it's easier to steer a car when it's moving. You know, when when your car's just parked, the steering wheel's locked. You can't turn it any direction. But when it's moving and the power steering is working okay... It's, it's pretty easy, right? Um, and and you, can, you can steer the car. And I believe that our lives work in kind of a similar fashion. God's plan gets more clear as we just keep taking steps. And many times taking steps without knowing everything about what exactly we need to do and where exactly we need to go. But as, as you move, God's purpose becomes clearer and clearer in our lives. And sometimes as far as of Christ, we're maybe really afraid of getting it wrong, taking the wrong step, or we're just like, until I know everything, I'm not ready to take a step. And the reality is, is God shows us 
as we go. And that requires a certain level of courage. Because the hardest step to take is always from zero to one. Have you ever noticed that? The hardest step to take going to the gym is getting in your car. Amen? Because then by the time you drive, and by the time, you're like, I'm already here. All right. You know, you're good. There's kind of a momentum that happens, you know? The hardest step is always zero to one. It's always that, that, that little baby step, you know? Do I go to church this morning or not, you know? Do I, do I oh, put my shoes on or not? That's always the hardest step. Do I, do I just kind of keep struggling with this on my own? Or, or do I have one conversation? That zero to one, that's the hardest step. But that's the principle of movement. God's, he's rarely going to give you the whole plan. He's just going to give you maybe a direction or just that next right step. And when you take it, it will become clearer and clearer. Because God then, he, he begins to work through this, this reality of providence in our life. So here's Paul. He goes from Athens to Corinth. And if you read all these chapters before, he's been traveling all over. But when he shows up in Corinth, he ends up meeting this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And ironically, they were these Jewish Christians that had just come from Rome. And the reason that they had gotten expelled from Rome is because the Roman emperor had said, man, there's these, these people and there, there's this guy, we, we actually have this ancient Roman letter. They said there's this guy, Crestus, who's causing all this trouble among the people. Crestus. And what many historians think is that that actually was just Christ spelled wrong. <laughs> you know, it was a typo. Or the guy, you know, he didn't really care. He was just like, whatever that guy's name is, Jimmy, Swimmy, Swammy, Samsonite. was way, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, this guy's caused trouble, and we need to get these, out, these guys out. So many people think that actually it was the early Christians that were reaching their communities and impacting society, and the Roman Emperor was like, we got to get these guys out of here. And so because of that, Priscilla and Aquila end up in Corinth, where Paul ends up. And not only that, but they, they had this share, shared ability of tent making, and, and they link up. And you could just say it's coincidence, or you could say that's part of the purpose and plan of God, that none of that was accident. And as we move in our lives, as we take steps, here's what happens. You end up seeing God's hand in your life in a more clear and a more real way. And you begin to realize, oh, you, you run into the right people. You run into the right opportunities. And it's not your doing, it's the doing of God. Because here's what providence means. It means that God is in control of everything. I know sometimes we look at life and we look at the world and we're like, God, are you really in control? And he 100% is. That God, he doesn't wake up and the angels are like, oh, Lord, did you catch that news story this morning? And the Lord's like, oh my goodness, who let that one happen? It, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> He's in control. He's guiding it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to understand 
all the fine detail of your life. Because this is a big eternal plan that includes all of creation from beginning to end. So if you're like, well, I I don't know if God has a plan because I can't figure it all out. Well, duh. Amen? You're going to, you think you're going to figure out the eternal plan of God, and because you can't, that pokes holes in the eternal plan of God? I don't think so. Amen? And, and so, but, but what we can be confident of is God is really doing things. That your life's not accidental. That even, and, and I know some of you might be thinking, you're like, well, Chad, I believe all that, but I think I've ruined God's plan. Because I've, I've made some big mistakes. I've had some big failures. But let me, let me encourage you, you're not strong enough to ruin God's plan for your life. Can you make life more painful than it has to be? 100%. Can you ruin the plan and purpose of God for you? No, I don't think you can. I think his, his plan is too good. It's too powerful. It's going to account for <laughs> our stupidity. It's going to account for our failures. God is still going to, in his genius, and it like God is so big and wise that, that all of the failures and mistakes of us and this whole world God is able to intricate, intric- whatever that word is, bring it all together into, uh, into exactly what he wants it to be. You with me on this? So we can't ruin it. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to try to, but, but I'm saying if, if you're like, hey, I think it's long past, uh, it's not. It's not. Maybe you're just stuck today. And maybe you just need to take a step. And you'll begin to see. And you'll begin to get hope, and you'll begin to get courage, and and everything will feel different. You with me on this? Now, here's the other thing about courage. Courage requires necessary endings and new beginnings. Paul's going to the synagogue, and that's that's what he did. That was his strategy. I go to the synagogue, I preach Jesus, I start there, and from there, I begin to reach other components and people of the city. But here he is in Corinth, he's doing it, and it's not going well at all. So what does he do? He says, you know what? I'm not going to keep trying this approach anymore. I'm going to do a new approach. And do you ever have those times in life where you're like, why do I keep trying to do this the same way, and then I'm surprised that nothing changes? You ever been there? Like, why, why do I keep doing this to myself? I'm, I'm literally, I, this hasn't worked 20, the 25 times previously, and I have good faith to believe that it's not going to work the 26th time. But you know, sometimes it, it takes courage to have a necessary ending. There's, there's a, a book called Necessary Endings, and it's by Henry Cloud, and he talks about that one of the ways we grow in life is recognizing and learning to know when it's time to close up shop. When it's time to say, this way of thinking, this approach, this career, whatever it can be, this this isn't uh, my season of life anymore, and I've got to close this chapter, and I have to start a new one. And for some of us, that's very easy to do. In fact, maybe some of us is that our problem is we create unnecessary endings, you know? But some of us, that's really hard to do. Some of us are are more comfortable 
in our frustration and pain than we are in facing the discomfort of something new that is healthy. You with me on this? Here's what Cloud says. I'll read a quote from it. He says, in your business and your life, the tomorrow that you desire and envision may never come to pass if you do not end some things you're doing today. For some people, that's clear and easy to execute. They end things that are holding them back. For others, it's more difficult. Paul said, you know what? This way that I've been doing it, it worked before. It's not working anymore. I need a new approach. I need a new strategy. And maybe for some of us, you know, there, there's ways that we've been approaching life where the Lord's saying, hey, I know that's what you've done. I know it's comfortable. I, I know you're there, but there's a better way. And that means closing this chapter. Hey, I know that, that attitude, I know you've been holding on to it, but there's a better way. And everybody around you is like, please, Jesus, please, please, necessary handy. You with me? But it, it takes courage to end things, amen? And it takes courage to start things. But yet, we need both of those in our life. Here's what else. Courage focuses on opportunity. I love this. Uh, he gets kicked out of the synagogue, and he finds an opening in the neighbor's house. When things, when things don't go the way that we want, how easy is it just to throw up your hands and stop trying? Amen? And, and can, we, can we be honest today that that really is the easier way? Because then I don't have to try. Well, Lord, I, I did it once. I did it once. And it, <laughs> and it didn't work. And now I give up. There's something in my coffee today. I'm not sure. <laughs> Just, I'll try to behave up here. Um, but courage is opportunity focused. I, I've read this. I've been reading this author, Peter Drucker, and he's kind of considered the, the father of modern management. He's, got, he's just got this great way of writing and articulating things. But he said that in, in business and in leadership that you, you only change things through opportunity never through solving problems. And I, and I thought that was so profound, not, you know, not necessarily for business, but, but for life. It's the opportunities that, that we see that God leads us into that actually bring the change. But if we're just focused on all the problems, right? If Paul would have just sat there and been like, they don't like me at the synagogue. You know, what's wrong with these guys? What? I'm trying so hard. I've, I just walked four days. You know, I'm tired. I'm dehydrated. <laughs> All this stuff. But, but instead, he, he looks for a new opportunity. And, and I would say that that's also how God, there's always a step that we can take. Sometimes in life, you, you just feel like you're absolutely stuck. But I'm telling you, there's always a step you can take. And it's a step that can improve things. Don't cast your lot at the first sign of difficulty or failure. Because that might just be God's redirection. Well, it, it didn't work this time and I had my hopes up. And Hey, that's okay. It's cool to be disappointed. 
It's understandable to be frustrated. It's understandable to be hurt by. But what I'm telling you today is don't give up. Don't give up because the Bible is stories of men and women who didn't give up even though everybody thought they should, them included, because they could sense God's whisper on the other end of one more try. You with me, church? And did you notice that as Paul is moving through this, people are coming to the Lord. The ruler of the synagogue comes to the Lord. They're they're starting to gain a sense of traction in the city and in the community. And, And can I tell you, when you take a step of courage, do you know who gets the blessing of it? You get some of it, but so does your family. So does your friends. So does your church. So does your community. In other words, when when we live with a a greater degree of courage, it's not just us that gets the reward of it. In fact, other people might actually get the better part of the reward of it. This family comes to Christ. And then let me just say, uh, talk about God's voice to Paul. Did you catch that in the, the verses? That Paul's there and God shows up and he says, he says, do not be afraid. Just keep doing it. There's more people in this city than you think. Now, can we just think about this for a second? Paul, I think by all accounts, was a pretty courageous guy. And we see that through the book of Acts. But here he gets this special voice from God. And I was just asking myself, why did Paul get this whisper from God. Don't be afraid. Why did he get that? And the only reason I could come to was because he needed it. Because even Paul was afraid to be Paul. Even Paul was afraid to serve God in the way God was calling him to. And it just encouraged me. Because like, if Paul can be afraid, so can we. Amen? And if Paul's going to be afraid, so are we. It's not the fear that's the problem. It's what we do with it. It's do, it's do, courage is not the absence of fear. I'll do what God's asking me to do as soon as I stop being afraid. Then you'll never do what God's asking you to do. Because if that's the formula, it's never going to get there. Here's what courage is. It's saying, man, I feel it. Man, I'm there. But you know what? I'm going to take the step anyway. I'm going to feel the fear, and I'm going to do it anyway. You with me on this? And God gave Paul this beautiful message. And I wonder for us today, is there any fear that is holding us back from God's plan, God's purpose, God's blessing, God's goodness to us today? Is there something that you know in your spirit or something that God's kind of been, been nudging you or, or pushing you? And, and, and you kind of, you're like, all right, I've walked with God enough that I, do, I know this is him. But you're, but you're not quite willing to go there because of the, because of the fear. And, and here's what I want to just tell you today. I believe. God's whisper to you and to me today is do not be afraid. I've read the Bible pretty like seriously for um, 
you know, a good bit of time now. And I cannot think of one instance where someone is trying to serve God and God shows up and speaks to them and says, oh, you're in over your head. Be afraid. Good luck. I'm out of here. I can't think of one instance of that. But you can read again and again and again, God show up to someone who's trying to serve him, someone who's trying to take a step, someone who's trying to honor him, and you will see the same message. Don't be afraid. You, you will not find one where God's like, whoo, ho, 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 this is not good. What were you thinking? You won't find that. Now, if you're being an idiot and you're like, I don't care about God, I'm going to do my own thing, then you might get a message of be afraid. <laughs> you know, this isn't going to end well. But if you're trying to serve God and you're trying to honor him, I'm telling you, that's always going to be his whisper. Don't be afraid. And sometimes we just need reminded of that and we need encouraged by that. And then here's what I love too. And, and God says to him, hey, and Paul, there's a lot more people in this city that are with you, that are serving you. Can, can I just remind you, man, the powers of evil love to isolate us in our fear. Love to be like, oh, ooh, yeah, I think, you, I think you're the only one in the church that struggles with that. All these other people, their lives are perfect when they go home. <laughs> oh, they don't. They don't fight with their spouse or their kids. They don't curse. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. Uh, they, don't, they don't doubt God. They read the Bible cover to cover six times a year. It's, it's just you. It's just you. That's what, that's what evil always wants to do. Here, here's the reality. Listen. Whatever your biggest struggle in life is, probably half of us in the room are like, yep, me too. Maybe, maybe more. <laughs> whatever, whatever feels like, like so personal and so unique to you and you're just, you're, it just you know, pains you to think about it. I'm telling you, that's probably all of us. And, and, and what, what evil always wants to do is it wants to just get you alone in your fear alone in your pain, alone in your struggle, and keep you there. Because as soon as people are around you praying for you and encouraging you and strengthening you and walking with you, well then, guess what? Evil doesn't really have much of a chance. But if it can get you away from everyone else, then, then it has a chance. And, and God reminds Paul, Paul, you're not the only one in Corinth. In fact, here's the truth. There's always more support around you than you think there is. Whatever you think there is today, God has more. More. And we're meant to find strength in that. We're meant to find courage in that. Because as we see here, there's no courage without opposition. But here's what, here's, just let me point this out, and I am running out of time here. There, there's no, <laughs> what else is new? There's no courage without opposition. And, and here's what's cool about this story. So Gallio is the Roman leader um, of Corinth. He, he is the, the pro-council. So he's, he's in charge on behalf of Rome. 
Interestingly enough, some of you might find this interesting, Seneca, ancient Stoic writer, we still have a lot of his writings, is actually Gallio's brother. So if you've ever heard of this guy, Seneca, they're brothers. I thought that was cool. Anyway, Gallio, um, they bring up this complaint, and here's what he says. He says, guys, I I don't want to get in the middle of this. I don't care. This has nothing to do with Roman law. And then the people who brought it up, Sothenes is the leader of the synagogue. They turn on him and start beating him up. And Gallio just lets it go. In other words, what he's saying is, yeah, I'm not entertaining for a second your opposition to the message of Jesus. And what that does is it now sets a precedent that says Christianity is a legal religion. And so the people who thought, that, again, they thought they were, they were getting them. They thought they were stopping Paul. Now they just set a precedent that helps Paul. How crazy is that? And, and now, in the eyes of Rome, at least here in Corinth, Christianity is as viable a re- religion as any other one that is allowable under their rule. So they thought they were stopping him. And here, once again, they're actually advancing the message. Here's that theme again. And church, just can I tell you, man, so many times the obstacles, the opposition, the disappointments, it feels like the halting of God's plans. But so many times, church, that is actually the advancement of it, and you will see it in time. And so you may be facing some difficulty, you may be facing challenge, do not lose heart. Let God continue to do what only God can do. You with me on this, church? Now here's one last thing I got to tell you. If you're like me, you've had moments of failure in courage. Have you ever had a cowardly moment in your life? Yeah, me too, right? And is there any worse feeling than knowing you should have, you know, you, you held yourself back or you're too afraid of what people think or you're just too afraid of, of seven, you know, and then, and then you're, just, you're just like, wow, that's, that's who I am? Anybody? All right, good. <laughs> Getting nervous for a second there. Um, and, and, and you, and you, you look at your life and, and, and you, you feel this sense of, of cowardice. But here's what I want to tell you today. I, I know for a fact that you are not a coward. That you are courageous. I, I know this for a fact. And here's why. If you are a follower of Jesus today, courage is your identity. It's actually who you are. Cowardice is only a passing event. Here's what I mean. When I was a young kid, um, elementary music class or music class hooked up with BW, their conservatory. BW music, this is a, I mean, they're a a high-level musical conservatory to do a show together. Like us third graders had a little role in it. And and I had I had a role in it. I played the xylophone for a song. I think that's what they're called. 
and, uh, and, and I got up there, and this was BW Conservatory on a stage. People had to buy tickets to this, all right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys have played on BW stage, but, but I have. Uh, <laughs> and I got up there, and I played the little xylophone with all my heart. I'm not Chris Schneider up there. I'm not Chris Courier. But I held my own, you know, and I played it. But since that moment, I've never, I've never left that moment and thought, you know, Chet, you are a, a musical performer. I've never thought that. Because that was a one-time event in third grade. And it's not who I am <laughs> at all. It's not who I am. It was fun, but it's not, it's not who I am. Now, here's the reality. Here, here's, here's what evil does. It tries to tie your identity to events in your life. And it's not who you are. Because, here's what I know about you. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's who you are. That's your identity. Now look, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, are we going to have events of failure in in Cardiff? Yes, we are going to have events of those. But it's not who we actually are. And we struggle with it because it's not aligned with the DNA of our soul. But here's the beauty. You have everything you need. Christ is in you today. You are his son. You are his daughter. He will give you all the presence, all the encouragement, all the strength that you need to, that you need to do what he wants you to do. And when you take a step toward it, you will feel the momentum of his help because that's who you are. You are not a coward. You are the bold, courageous sons and daughters of the Most High God. We just need to remind ourselves sometimes. And we need to live it out. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that being a son or daughter is a gift. It's not earned. It's not created by us, but it's a gift to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would just help us to see that, Lord, greater is you that's in us than he that's in the world. Help us to see today, Lord, that whatever we're facing, man, we're not alone. Your promise that you'll be with us is true. And not only that, you have brothers and sisters around us that we may not be aware of right now. Help us to see it. Help us to support each other. Help us to encourage each other. Help us to find the courage that we need, not just um, alone in our own way, but through the strength and the support of each other. And I ask all this in the great name of Jesus.